0: I grew up in a, uh, I grew up in a home that uh, I think I guess I would tell you that uh, we handled conflict fairly well. Um, there were uh, still, though, with conflict, there were many uh, uh, doors that were shut in the midst of great arguments, shut very loudly. There were swear words spoken in conflict in our house. Um, It was at times crazy, but at times it was absolutely unbelievably phenomenal. One of the craziest times of conflict that I ever uh, got into was a conflict with my father, who after my mother had died had married another woman, and I was in conflict about the woman that he had married. And we happened to, during this time of really a lot of tension between us, um, we took a trip together, and I was down in Florida with him, with he and his new wife. And um, so I decided that the way I was going to handle this conflict uh was to just not talk to him any of you ever done that before maybe it'll maybe it'll just go away and or i'll just fight this battle long enough i'll be quiet long enough and and maybe he'll come up to me and he'll say oh son what's wrong and then that would put me in a great position then to look at him and say, you're really a dinghead. So we played this game. We, we kind of did this thing. I, I kind of stayed away from him. We were cordial with each other. Are you following me? So finally, I just, you know, he's been, always been the one as my father to seek me out. He didn't do it, and I was really mad. So finally I just get in front of him, and I, I just sat down. And I said, okay, let's, let's just talk about us. And he says, okay. And I said, I'll go first. I don't like you. And he went, oh, that's a relief. Because I don't like you either. And I said, but I love you. And he goes, oh, that's a relief because I really love you. All of us come from different paradigms, if you will, of how to handle conflict in our homes. Many of these paradigms that we've been given, these models of handling conflict and dispute are very, very broken, if we were to really look at them. Many of you deal and handle conflict much like the way your parents handled conflict with each other. Many of you deal with conflict with your friends or your wife or your folks you work with in the same maybe broken manner. Many of us feel in this room today that there couldn't possibly be conflict in my home. If I have conflict in my home, there must be something wrong with our home. If I have a dispute or if I have something I want to talk to somebody about, I can't talk with them about it because it's bad to do that. Many of you come from that background. And as a result, you, many of you walk around life like a shaken up champagne bottle. And finally, somebody uncorks that thing and it just goes and explodes. Some of you would be what I would call pukers. You bloat it and it's loaded and loaded and you walk around silent like a silent submarine until it all comes out and it all comes out wrong. We all have these ways of handling conflict and dispute, and that is what is going on today as in our series in 1 Corinthians. And I'd like you to turn there with me this morning, because I think this is an extremely appropriate thing for us to be dealing with. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, If any of you has a dip- dispute with one another, with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Paul writing to the Corinthian church here. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Verse 3, Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life Therefore, if, if you have disputes about such matters, which they were disputing, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. And I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to the law against another, and this in front of unbelievers? Verse 7. Very, very interesting piece of scripture there in verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. And then look what he says there. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers, I have a, three things I want to quickly work through this morning with you and talk with you about. And the first thing that I want to talk with you about is something that we don't talk a tremendous, uh, and we don't talk about it tremendously around here. But I want to talk to you uh, first this morning about what we would call communal witness. Some people would call it corporate witness. This concept of communal or corporate witness. One of the great functions of the church is that that of this concept called communal witness. God has gathered a chosen group of people to represent him in his glory to the world. First Peter says it like this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So the Bible's telling us here, Now, try to get this, is that we are, as a body, we're holy proclaimers. We are a people together. We are a people together singing the Lord's song in a strange land. Do you hear what I just said? We are a people together singing the Lord's song in a strange land. The Bible is very clear, my friend, about the fact that you are not your own, and I am not either. Many of us today have come here, we sit here, and we believe we're private individuals. We run our own lives. We have our own bank accounts. We have our jobs. We have our freedom. Sure, that's true. But the Bible's dream and the Bible's reality for us is that we are a communal people, that we are together And in this idea of being a communal people, there's ways that the world looks at us as believers. And together we sing the Lord's song in a strange land. The strange land is the world that we live in. And we are a choir. And there are no solo acts in the choir. We are many voices, yes, but we are one voice. And together we do sing this song, and together we sing the Lord's song. And the things, that we, the things that we sing about are different. They're different as they relate to money. They're different as they relate to sex. They're different as they relate to power. The songs we sing about, those things are different than the world sings. Paul's trying to tell this group of people in Corinth, no, no, no. You're you're not singing the right song. I am very concerned for you as a body of believers about this communal and corporate witness that you have to the world. You're fighting with each other. And by the way, let me make sure you understand. I think this is true. That one of the greatest ways that we can witness to the world, and when I mean witness, yes, I am using the evangelistic terminology of witnessing to our neighbors. One of the ways that we witness to a dying world is in and through the very relationships that they see in front of them. Your marriage is how you witness to people. Your friendships the way you handle your neighbor next to you, that lives next to you. This is one of the ways we witness or we speak Christ to the world. And Paul is concerned about this. How are you being viewed at by the world? They're looking at you as being just a bunch of people who are fighting. And isn't, has that changed at all? Many people would view the church. They had these, the, the people in Corinth had a very low view of the church. And the people in Nashville, many of them have a very low view of the church. The church is held in very low esteem. People would say things that are right on the money, like, what's different about you guys? All you guys do is fight amongst yourselves. Pastors leaving this church and stealing from a bank account. and I mean, you we could tell all the stories, couldn't we? And all these people outside of us see this. And I thought about that for a minute, and I thought about, this is such a foreign concept to me that, I don't think that my attitudes and my actions, (laughs) I think that my attitudes and my actions are my problem. They affect me. You know why I view view that like that? Because I I believe something that's wrong. And what's wrong is I believe I'm this really private individual that I don't have any accountabilities to anybody else in my life. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody can ask me the hard, deep questions, but that's what I believe. But Paul, what Paul's saying is, no, 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 you belong to a holy people. You belong to a different kingdom, and in that, in that kingdom, there's a whole different economy because in that kingdom, there's a king, and that king has rules. That king has ways that he wants you all to live. I want you to be really concerned about that kingdom, the church, the bride of Christ, You're at war with your wife right now. You're at war with your husband right now. You're at war with a friend right now. Paul's statement to you would be, do you care about your witness? Do you care about the fact that what's going on in that relationship hurts my witness? because it does he says enough for communal witness this idea of communal or corporate witness this is this is what's going on though this is what's really motivating paul to write this boy these things are going on and i got to tell you something you guys it's just not about you individuals this is a big deal secondly What's the problem here? What's happening with these people? These Christians in this church in Corinth are a lot like us. They sure are a lot like me. They had moved so far away from the way that Jesus wanted them to handle conflict they had moved so far away and i want to talk to you about this problem of moving far away from the very thing that god has for us they had strayed so far away from the way of forgiveness and the way of wrong and or the way of the way of love that they literally were willing to take their fellow brothers to court over very very small and trivial things They had moved so far away from the supernatural reality of mutual love in their relationships that they were deliberately flouting kind of normal standards of business and social ethics. They they had moved so far away from just basic love, basic forgiveness. One author says this about them. They were a self-absorbed, proud, and competitive people. And as I thought about that, I thought, that's a great description of me. Do you know how self-absorbed people handle conflict? they they don't because they're too busy drinking their own Kool-Aid. Do you know how proud people handle conflict? Do you know how proud people handle conflict? Do you know how proud people handle conflict? I'm right. And I'm gonna be right. And I'm always gonna be right. Or in this situation, I'm right. And everybody's going to bow down to me because I'm right. I want to be right. I am right. I'm righteous. I'm self-righteous. I'm right. Get it? I'm right. I'm not giving in on this one. I'm right on this one. Sound like you and me? Do you know how competitive people handle conflict? I win. I win. Honey, I'm glad that you and I have a conflict and that we're in this conflict, but you need to know that my secret agenda that's going on in the deepest part of my being is I am gonna win at all costs. And I know how to win With a spear in my hand, and I know how to win with a toothpick in my hand. I can gash you, or I could just bleed you out really slow. Sound familiar? These people were obsessed with their rights. Obsessed. Sound familiar? You know how they catch monkeys in the jungle? They take gourds and they hollow them out. And these gourds have a long neck on them. And they take these gourds and after they, they've hollowed them out, they put fruit on the bottom of the gourd and they take it and they put it on the ground and they stake it into the ground. And the monkeys come and they take their hand and they put it down the neck and they grab the fruit. And as soon as they grab the fruit, The folks come out from behind the bushes and they go to grab them. The monkeys could easily pull their hand out, but they don't because they can't let go of the fruit. And so they get caught. Let me ask you something. What's the fruit you're holding on to? Well, my dad, you may say, my dad wronged me. My, my stepdad said this to me, and I've never talked to him since. Ran into a young lady who was being paid, her college was being paid for by, his, by her father, and things were being taken care of, and she made a really bad decision to move in with her boyfriend. Her father cut her off. And after a while, her father that had cut her off, felt bad about cutting her off. but guess what her dad never did. Her dad never moved towards her to bring peace, because her dad was holding on to the fruit of bitterness. And I am too. I am too. I'm so concerned about my rights. Yes, for you. Somebody said our vindictive grudges, all they do is eat our soul and rob our creativity and suck away our joy. Has your joy been absolutely sucked away? Have we moved so far away from the way of forgiveness and love that The very people that we do love don't know that we love them and won't know that we love them until we are five minutes away from death on a bed. This combination of asserting rights and being self-absorbed and proud and competitive would be sometimes an indictment that many people would say about us as Christians. My dad said that one of the greatest ways that you can tell what true Christians are is just go to a church softball game. And what Paul would be saying there is Paul would be saying this, hey, the way you're playing softball, don't do it like that anymore. In fact, what he would say is, and this takes us into our last point, what he would say is, throw the game. Lose it. And that takes us to this last point of, is there a different way for us to resolve and think about our disputes as biblical Christians, as people who follow Jesus, as kingdom people, as a chosen people, as a priesthood, as a communal people? Is there a different way for us to think about this? Paul would say, absolutely. You deal with it differently because you are different. You're different. You've been made different. I've given you my son, Jesus. He lives inside of your life. And now you're different. You look at things differently. You look at a lot of the things that the world says to you, inverted, they're totally different. They're of another kingdom. So rather than lawsuits, Paul says in verse 7, look there. Look what he says. Why not rather be wronged and why not rather be cheated? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. you kidding me. Maybe Paul, maybe Paul had heard what Jesus had said. You know what Jesus had said? Maybe Paul had heard this. Maybe Paul had heard Jesus say this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Paul's saying, so... Maybe you just need to think about giving up your rights and forget about winning. He's talking about losing. He's, he's talking about surrender. How many of you, How many, I mean, think about it for a minute. How many times in this last year have you just said, I'm just going to suffer the wrong. I'm not talking about false peacemaking. I'm not talking about, I need. I, there's, there's certain issues in our lives that need to be confronted and dealt with in a very loving, kind, <laughs> Christ-like manner. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about my pride is so big in this situation. I am so self-consumed. I am so narcissistic about this issue. Lord, please, I I just need to lose it. I just need to let go of the fruit. Jesus said something else about conflict in Matthew 5. He says this, really interesting. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and, and you there remember that your brother has something against you, he says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Maybe this is what Paul was thinking. The Bible is saying that reconciliation here in that verse, the Bible is saying, and the Bible has much to say about conflict, resolution, and dispute, by the way. The Bible is saying that, re- or that, that reconciliation should precede worship. If we have broken relationships, the scriptures command us to go and be reconciled first. Isn't that interesting? And I want you to get something very important here that you can really miss out on, and it's how we process conflict. And here's what it is. The verse doesn't give regard in that verse to who is at fault. Some, the, this, the verse says this, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, Matthew 5, 23, if you are offering the gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. So that takes away the ace, doesn't it, that we all want to play? Well, this is your issue. This is your problem. You know, when, when you get right, then you you come, you know, you talk to me. No, no, no. The issue issue here is what the Bible would call biblical reconciliation. The issue here would be, how do I close the space between me and my wife? How do I close the space between me and my husband? How do I close the space between me and my neighbor and my friend and the person I've been terribly bittered at, embittered at? How do I go with all humility to them? And maybe the thing I need to look at them and say is, I'm just sorry. That's the idea. The idea here is biblical reconciliation. It's not about these games of your fault, my fault, what you said, she said, I said. No, 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 there's a different way. Back to this concept, I wanna close on this idea of what would it look like for us to surrender. I ran across this this week. Maybe it'll help you. It helped me. Something inside of us despises the thought of surrendering of quitting. Ah, but surrendering and quitting are two different concepts. Quitting says, I don't care. Surrendering says, I care. Quitting says, I can't surrendering says i can't and god can quitting is often repressed or expressed anger and surrendering is expressed love the mate who files or who quits files for divorce the spouse who says i surrender seeks counseling and accountability the person who quits becomes an agnostic or atheist and leaves the church the individual who surrenders says god Whatever it takes for my will to break, do it. The quitter says, to hell with God. If he won't tell me, I'll do it my way. The person who surrenders asks, where is the hell in me? What do you want? Here I am. Speak, Lord. Your servant listens. I wonder if Paul's on to something here that Never even consider in our lives, because of so many of the fleshly problems that are churning always in our hearts. And I wonder what surrender would really look like—loving, beautiful, humble surrender. I wonder what it would mean for me to totally surrender myself to even the Lord. As a result, you know, as a result, you know, kind of revolves around the conflicts that I have. I wonder I wonder this, is this about like, is this just about like conflict resolution skills? Or is this about this way, this posture that I am before the Lord? That I'm just completely rocked down to my world, just the bottom of my life broken as as an individual, and I just need him so bad. You know, what would surrender look like in these conflicts? What would it mean to wave the white flag? What would it mean to say, I'll suffer the wrong? And I don't, again, I don't want to qualify everything. I don't have any problem with you having many questions about what I'm saying. But I think there's time for healthy conflict resolution. I think conflict's phenomenal. And can draw us together so much so, especially in our marriages. And I'm going to tell you something I'm really concerned for our marriages in our church here. I'm really concerned. Men, I'm really concerned for you. I'm concerned for you in the way that you're leading your wives as it relates to Ephesians 5. Loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Women, wives, I'm really concerned for you as it relates to the scripture of submitting to your husband. I cannot begin to tell you how many of our marriages I think are really a mess. And I want you to know it's a terrible indictment on the church I have young couples now coming to me that's saying do you know any marriage in our church that's working don't 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 take that to your shame take that and and use it as God saying something to you we need we need we need some we need massive help in this area we need folks that are really reconciled to God and really begin surrendering and open up their lives and their hearts and their heads to each other. When my girls were small, like two, I have four, by the way, but when they were small, they would always have their time where when we got to church. After church, they would run around like crazy banshee girls. And we loved it when they ran. And they would run and go crazy. But they always had time where the tank ran out. And they'd come to me and they'd go, up daddy. They hold their hands up. They got up daddy. And in essence, what they were doing was they were saying, I'm tired. I'm weak. I'm too little. Carry me. And that's kind of what I'm talking about today. Because the spirit of brokenness that we are supposed to have with our Father and with the ones that love us helps us reach out our arms to the Father and says to God, up, Daddy. Carry me weak. I'm too little to do it on my own. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your word and thank you for the fact that we can even talk about very difficult and hard issues in this place. And Father, uh, if, if today's anything, it's my confession of how much I need you in my life. And I pray that for all of uh, us here. I pray so much, Lord, for your spirit to be released on our marriages. For, Lord, for you to break all of us of our pride and our complete obsession with our rights. I pray, Lord, for massive healing that only you can bring. I pray for it. I pray for our single folks here who feel very, very... Divided and spaced from other people in their life. They don't feel like they're connected. There's conflict there. I pray for the people here who don't know you today, who are in conflict with you, Lord. I pray that they would surrender. Lord, lead us in this humble way of understanding things. Help us. Speak to us. Do a work inside of us. We thank you again for a time we can gather and speak your name. We pray this in your name. Amen.